just like you who are dealing with their own journey from loss to growth, along with mental health experts, growth guides, all with the purpose of helping you heal better, improve your mind, body, and spirit, and find your new purpose from the loss and the tragedy that you've unfortunately experienced. Hi, I'm Tom Pasello. I'm your host. I'm a growth evangelist, as well as being a fellow widower, having lost my beautiful bride of uh, 19 years, Judy, some five years ago. Today, we have a fellow widower, widower brother. His name is John Polo. And for those of you who don't know who John is, uh, he's quite the coach, best-selling author, podcaster, keynote speaker. He is probably one of the most prolific authors in our space for the widower's community, having written four books on the topic of grief and loss. That includes Widowed, Rants, Raves, and Randoms. Love that title. Uh, Widowed 2, Now I Live. Uh, How to Date a Widow 101, which I think includes dating advice for widows and widowers. And probably my favorite title uh, of all your books, John, The Stupid Shit People Say to Grievers. And I didn't include the asterisk in there because we're not G-rated here, just so you know. Um, John's worked with nearly uh, 5,000 coaching sessions with different folks from those who are grieving to those who want to grow with his advice and his expertise. From grief to dating, self-growth, everything in between, John offers experiences and advice that helps healing and growth. And we're here to tap some of that experience, some of those insights that John has to offer. John Polo, welcome to the Growth Thank you so podcast. Much. Thank you for awesome. having me on. Yeah. John, I love to start at the beginning of your love story first. Um, how did you and your late wife, Michelle, meet? We actually met in high school. So we grew up in the same town. And we kind of knew of each other, but she was two years younger than me. Mm-hmm. And we didn't actually start hanging out until we both moved away. So we both moved away an hour in different directions. And we would both go back to that town to hang out with friends. And that's when we became friends. And I developed a huge crush on her and <laughs> asked her out one day. Oh, that's awesome. And then you started to build a life together. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So the first we dated for a year in high school. And it was great. And then she broke my heart. Um, Seven years later, I was sitting in my computer answering some emails and up popped an email from Michelle. I had a panic attack (laughs) because even to that day, she was still the only woman I had ever truly loved. We talked for a whole year before she came to visit me. She did come to visit me. We admitted to ourselves and to each other that the love had never went away. And that's when we truly started to build a life together. Wow. But then that life was disrupted and at a very young age, uh, and that was in 2015, give or take, 2016. Talk about the C word, cancer, that came into your lives. Yeah, so Michelle came back into my life in 2010. We saw each other in 11. We started building that life together in 2013. So two and a half years after our reunion, she got diagnosed with one of the rare, most rare and aggressive cancers known to man. Uh-huh. And we pretty much knew from the get-go that this wasn't going to get beat. Yeah. Um, so she did battle it unbelievably courageously for two and a half years. But she did pass away from it in January of 2016. Yeah, I'm so sorry. And having gone through cancer and being 
that support person, I know there's a lot of grieving that occurs through that period as you start to lose that person in pieces. There's the trauma of seeing that person deteriorate, which is difficult. And then the loss and you had to pick up the pieces after that. Talk about that a little bit and some of the challenges that you faced right away. I had such bad anticipatory grief. I didn't even know what that phrase was, what that Mm -hmm. thing was until about a month after she passed, I was scrolling on Facebook and I saw those words come up on my Facebook feed. And I'm like, what is that? And I read the article and I'm like, that's what I had Mm -hmm. for two and a half years. If I'm being honest, I was kind of consumed by the fact that my wife was going to die. And I didn't really enjoy my wife as much as I should have because I let that take me over. The Mm -hmm. fact that she had come back into my life all of the circumstances that we both dealt with, we both finally found happiness when we reunited. And then for her to get sick so quickly after. And this amazing human, the most amazing human I've ever known, as you said, I mean, you're watching them die for two and a half years. I was consumed by it. I had horrible anticipatory grief. Yeah. I too experienced some of that, and I didn't have a label for it either, John. Um, Regrets that when there were those good times and there were periods of recovery that occurred Mm -hmm. in between the treatments and the different battles we went through, we kind of took that time for granted. Um, And there were those times that I went through where we did think that the cancer was beat, first breast cancer, and then a brain tumor that aggressively came out of nowhere uh, five years later that ultimately became what led to the passing. But even with that brain tumor, there was a period where we thought we had that beat as well. And we definitely took that for granted. Um, And then another thing that happened too, and I don't know if you experienced this, but it's definitely a big regret that I have was we started to resent each other a little bit. And it's sad to say, because we, we needed to kind of go through therapy for it or whatever, but you're in the midst of battling cancer, much less dealing with some of the emotional and relationship issues that you as individuals and as a couple have. Um, But I was, I felt like, well, I'm still pretty young, but my wife, because of everything she's going through is like a 70 or an 80 year old. And so I had those kind of feelings at different periods of time. And I know she felt resentment in a different way, which is, Tom's getting to live his life the way he wants to live it. Why am I not being able to do that? Yeah. I mean, look, what you just said, since you swore once, I'll swear once. That's some deep shit. And that's the type of thing that people don't want to admit. And that's fine. You can hold that very close Mm -hmm. to yourself because that is some deep shit. But, you know, when you said we started to resent each other, what popped into my head about my story with Michelle is she had a very bad childhood. And because of that, she wasn't very good at showing vulnerability. Yeah. And there would be times where like, I needed to talk about what was happening. I needed her to cry with me. And she might be closed down in those moments. Or there might be times where she wanted to open up like that. But I was in the, no, we got to be hopeful. Like, you know, we're going to have good news today. Like, so we weren't always on the same page. One might be, you know, feeling the pain while the other one was trying to be hopeful. And there was a lot of disconnect during that time. Yeah. Listen to this, listeners, you know, widower brothers, it it wasn't perfect through the sickness period. 
And everyone has these kind of regrets and things that we think back on and the would haves, the could haves, the should haves. Look, through it, we were doing the best we could. Please give yourself grace through that. If you're willing to admit, like John and I do, about some of these issues, it really does help in the healing process. You know, ask the spirit for forgiveness. Ask your wife for forgiveness from those things. Let yourself go of that weight that you're carrying and try not to carry those regrets or that resentment or whatever it else was that you dealt with. Um, Many feel like, well, I didn't do enough, you know, through the process, Um, especially if it was a quick passing. Uh, We've had a lot of widower brothers express that and know that we all feel this way, but that there is healing that can come from talking about it to other brothers, talking about it to her spirit and the bigger spirit, the God that you pray to. And I think there's a lot of healing in there. What other challenges did you face, John, kind of soon thereafter? After her passing? Yeah. Yeah. I just want to say one thing about what you just said. This is not easy, right? It's not easy. So I'm not trying to make it sound easy, but I also, I tell a big, long story. I won't get into it today, but the moral of the story that I tell with clients or when I'm giving speeches is I choose now to live in the good times that we shared. Mm -hmm. I choose now to live in the love that we shared. I'm not going to spend the rest of my days beating me up. And quite honestly, I know that she wouldn't want me to do that either. So I choose to live in the love that we shared and the beauty of that relationship, even if it wasn't always perfect. And when your person is dying, it's not going to always be perfect. Right. Um, To your question, when she passed, I lost everything. You know, the, the amount of secondary loss that came with her passing, we, we would need four hours just to talk about it, right? And I know a lot of people feel that. I lost my identity, right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't a husband anymore in the physical world. You know, I had to hand over my stepkid never knowing if I'd see her ever again. I wasn't <laughs> a caretaker anymore. And I know that there's this... this thing out there where like society, I think, thinks because we're men, we're widowers, that like we get all this support. I don't see that. Mm -hmm. I don't see that from my clients. And I certainly didn't see it from myself. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really have a ton of support either. I was this 31 year old man who had just lost the love of his life for the second time, lost my Mm -hmm. identity, didn't know what to do with myself, my grief, my life, anything. Didn't want to be here anymore. And I felt all alone in that as well. I felt like I really didn't have anybody to go to, to talk to, et cetera. Yeah, I agree. And I think the identity loss is one of the big things as men that we face. Um, we are the caretakers. We are the caregivers in, in this. Um, we do take a lot of pride in being that protector. Yeah. And I know that that was a big ego blow for me. And my identity was, here it is, the ultimate protection moment. And you can't do anything against the big C, right? So it was a tough one. And I did lose my identity, lost a lot of mojo. And um, in every aspect of my life, it kind of filtered into in my business confidence, in my personal confidence. And then the other thing, too, is that because a lot of men don't share a lot of deep feelings, um, you know, a lot of my friends were there, but they weren't. And it's not their fault. We just didn't have that kind of a relation. I didn't have those kind of friendships that were that deep. 
Um, my mentor would have been that for me if he was there, but unfortunately he passed away a few years prior to me losing Judy. Um, but most of the other relationships in my life were sports buddy relationships, right, yep. work buddy relationships, right? So it wasn't this kind of deep, even the discussion that we're having here, John, is deeper than a discussion yeah. I would have yeah. with most of them almost yeah. instantly. And we're just getting to know each other. Yeah. Well, I think that society as a whole doesn't understand grief and feels very uncomfortable with grief, yeah. right? That's absolutely true. This is why for me, connecting with other widowed people has been so huge. You know, I never, ever, ever expected anyone to understand my pain. I always expected everyone to respect my pain, mm -hmm. right? And that's for me when the divide came with some people that were in my life, when they weren't respecting my pain. Yeah. And again, connecting with other widowed people, not every single widowed person, but as a general rule of thumb, they're going to respect your pain. They're going to make you feel seen and understood, even though all of our pain is unique. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times it's a protection mechanism for them that they go into, which is shit's hard to deal with. Yeah. Um, so a lot of times they'll want to just gloss it over, or move on, or have you move on, right? And a lot of times as widowers, we're not ready to do that. Um, they want to go back. They want you to go back to the identity that you were before, yeah. right? Their sports buddy or their right. spin buddy or whatever it might be. And you probably aren't ready to do that. And it's not like they don't quite understand that. But they don't know how to deal with it either. Um, right. Yeah. And again, I just. The loss of your present life, right? Mm -hmm. The loss of the future that you plan and then that feeling of your identity being taken. Yeah. You can't even wrap your mind around it unless you've lived it. Yeah, I agree. Now, from the initial shock, you definitely pulled it together. Um, what are the three things that you leverage to, do you think, kind of begin the healing the most? What were the couple of things that you relied on? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the things that really helped me, and it won't speak to everybody, but is writing. So a month after my wife passed away, I didn't know what to do with myself in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. And a friend suggested I start a blog. Now yeah. I had never really written anything in my life. In 2008, I wrote my dad's eulogy. In 2016, I wrote Michelle's eulogy. Mm -hmm. I really never had an interest in writing, but when she was sick, we would spend so much time in the hospital and she'd be sleeping. And I would go on Facebook and with my thumbs, I would either give updates as to what was happening mm -hmm. or more frequently pour my heart out. And a friend noticed that maybe that was helping me. So a month after she passed, a friend said, why don't you start a blog? And I didn't know what that was, like how to do that. Yeah. So I Googled how to start a blog. And the next day I started one with a matching Facebook page. And I would just go on there and talk about pure grief. That proved incredibly healing for me. One of the other things I did was, I can remember the moment, it was eight months out after Michelle's passing, the one year was approaching, the holidays were approaching and I was on the floor sobbing mm -hmm. in what was our master bedroom and was now my master bedroom. And I remember thinking to myself, I had been a caretaker my entire life. From 12 to 27 for my mom, I was a caretaker for a year when my, had, my dad had cancer, then two and a half years with Michelle. 
I had never, ever, ever taken care of myself, made myself a priority in my own life, anything. And it hit me in that moment. I had to begin to make myself a priority in my own life. And I always say A and not V. Because there might be somebody listening to this that's thinking, well, I can't make myself the priority. John, I have two small kids. I'm not mm -hmm. saying that. Yeah. But I think we can all make ourselves a priority, meaning one of the priorities. I started mm -hmm. to do that. And what I did was I zoned in on myself like I had zoned in on Michelle when she was sick. Everything when Michelle was sick, you know, did she want food? When was her medicine due? Did I need to try to make her laugh? Yeah. I started making myself a priority like that and focusing in on every little thing that I wanted or needed or liked mm -hmm. or disliked. Who was I around when I felt better? Who was I around when I felt worse, right? So those are the two things. And then the other one I mentioned is connecting with other widowed people. It has mm -hmm. been absolutely huge for me. Yeah, and that led to kind of this next stage in your life. Um, you weren't a coach before this, right. were you? Or, no, no, no. or a writer or a podcaster no, 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 or a keynote speaker you really took this and made a choice as you were going through this, as you're doing the writing, as you made yourself a priority, as you started doing the connections, that this was going to be a new purpose for you in life. Talk about that because that's really powerful. Yeah. First of all, to people watching on video, I'm sorry for the sun glaring in. <laughs> the sun's coming out though. So that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. Yeah. So I don't think the world was used to a 31-year-old man pouring his heart out. I agree. And because of that, and because I do think I'm a talented writer, it's one of my talents, my blog and my Facebook page started to take off. And about a year into this, now I'm starting to kind of like make myself a priority. Now I'm starting to kind of like find moments mm -hmm. of maybe hope or smiles. And now people are starting to see this from me. And as a little more time passed, somebody suggested that I go and apply to be a speaker somewhere at a grief conference. Mm. So about 18 months in, I went and I did that. I spoke in my first conference and that's when my first book came out. And I noticed that I had an ability to help other people, right? Yeah. And that ability coupled with the passion became a purpose for me, 100%. Yeah. And I think that in that service, in helping, I know that every time I talk to a fellow widower brother, even in this conversation, John, that we're having, there's healing that's occurring in me yeah. as much as healing occurring in you, as much as for the listeners that are out there. This, you kind of think about it in, oh, I'll help to serve others. I'll help someone else. Gosh, the first time I ever met with a fellow widower, a friend recommended, got together with my, um, my now widower brother, Joey who had just lost his wife like three months prior. And I was already three years into it. So right. talking magnitudes of difference. I, I swear, John, I got as much out of that meeting as Joey got of me. And it was the start of this mission that he literally, that one meeting inspired. So in the service, I mean, definitely do it. As you're helping others, you will get, an incredible benefit, both in feeling good about getting out there and helping someone else, but also in the sharing and the stories and the, the just forensically thinking about what you went through and reprocessing it, you will get so much out of it. 100%. If I were to make a list, right, of all the things that have proven helpful for me since Michelle passed, this would absolutely be 
one of the things on top of that list. Yeah. People think that I'm helping them or doing this work, connecting with them. I not only am helped so much on the deepest levels, right? The deepest levels, but I also learn so much. Yeah. It's been so incredibly healing. Yep. Yeah. The other thing I want to point out is that there are so many men who need help through this process. John and I are out there, but we are literally just scratching the surface on who needs help. So don't think that there isn't a place for your voice, for your advice, for whatever it is that you want to get out there and help serve. Become a coach, become a keynote yep. speaker, write a book about yep. it. We need more voices out there, more men sharing their deepest stories and being vulnerable in this. And I think through that will become a whole movement of healing that, you know, John and I are doing it, but definitely there's room for you as well. If you see fit that that's what you want to do next in your purpose. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest about 95% of my clients are female. Because wow. I think we live in a society where men aren't supposed to talk about their pain True. or even their joy or their hope, right? We're not supposed to open up. And one of the reasons I do this, and I don't want to speak for you, but I'm assuming it's probably the case too, is to let men know it's okay. Yeah. Like you are human. Yeah. You are human. And we have all the same feelings and thoughts as emotions as everyone else, right? People yeah. always ask me, like, what's the biggest difference you see between widows and widowers? I'm like, I don't really see a ton of difference. Like, I don't. One of the biggest differences is that men don't seek the support. We're not mm -hmm. open about our pain. That's yeah. probably the biggest difference I see. Yeah. John, the statistics on it, not even beyond just widow widowhood and grief is like 60 some odd percent of men. So almost two thirds do not have someone they can talk to about health issues, about financial challenges, much less about yeah. death and loss and things this deep. And that's something I think is a society that we need to correct. And I think the way to correct it is Folks like us, yeah. I mean, nothing special about you or I in that other than we've had some experiences. Yeah. We're willing to go out there and just openly share about it and shed a tear during a, uh, yeah. you know, a session yeah. or two. Um, so there is a spot for that. And I do think as men, we need to share a lot more. Now, one of the areas you've written a lot about, I'm going to pivot completely. Yeah, yeah. And you're coaching a lot on is a topic that I know is really important. Once a widower reaches a certain point, they kind of think about, okay, maybe I'm ready to get out there again. I'm lonely is what we hear a lot. Yeah. And men do need that companionship. Talk about dating again. Whew, that's a loaded question. <laughs> well, I don't know. Let me, of all the coaching sessions I do now, I do the most on dating, right? Yeah. Um, and I think obviously there's a lot of reasons for that. <sighs> it's a new world. The dating world is a new world, just in the sense of like online dating and society mm -hmm. changing. But it's also a new world because if you had your person who you thought you were never going to have to date ever again, right? Like, yes, I'm never going to have to step into that ever again. And now you do, you don't really know what to do with that. Right. And I think that a lot of people look at dating again, very like black and white. And I think after my wife passed, I see like everything as a sea of gray. So it's not just like, oh, you know, 
how am I going to approach this person? You know, how do I talk to a woman, etc.? Our self-esteem and our self-worth, and I don't mean just widowers, widows too. Our self-esteem and our self-worth tend to take a huge hit yeah. when we lose our person for a whole lot of reasons we don't even have time to get into today, right? And if you think about things that can impact you with in any way in life, but especially with dating, self-esteem and self-worth, mm -hmm. right? One of the biggest messages that I would give to people that are considering dating again is, at least in my experience in my own life and in all the widowed people I've met, 5,000 coaching sessions, nothing you do in this life, even getting back out there, even falling in love again, is going to take away in any way, shape, or form the love that you had and still have mm -hmm. for your person. I call it my Michelle Cup. So when I talk about the cup being full, it's not liquid. Mm -hmm. It's about love for Michelle. Mm -hmm. My Michelle cup is just as full today as it was when I fell in love with her in high school. When we got back together, when she died, I am in a relationship for almost two years now. I'm in love with Al. Mm -hmm. My Michelle cup is still just as full today. It has not changed that at all. And I think that's one thing that's really hard for people to wrap their minds around. But when you can kind of accept that truth, you realize that you can live down here. Like you can live, mm -hmm. you can embrace love again and life again and happiness again. And it's not going to take away. Yeah. It's a different what you cup. have. And it's yeah. shaped different. She has her own cup. Yeah. Right. It's her own cup. And you're yeah. right. That cup for many um, you know, especially when you're you're my age, and I think you're facing this as well at your age, John, is a lot of the women that we're going to meet and date, and they're likely been through a divorce more so than maybe being a widow or a widow yeah. themselves. So their cup has been empty in a lot of ways. And so there is that difference that gets involved. And I do think that sometimes that cup still being full can be seen as a challenge for mm -hmm. that person that has an empty cup that's willing to be filled. Um, but I, I'd be the first to say, look, that cup being full still has nothing to do with this new cup that's being filled yeah. in a whole different way in a completely different relationship and doesn't take one bit away. In fact, in a lot of ways, adds to it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when I met Allie, she was 28. I was 36, I think. She had never been engaged, never been married, mm -hmm. and she'd been unbelievably supportive and loving. Like she will bring up Michelle's name. She will ask me to hear memories about Michelle. Now she did struggle a little bit early on, not with jealousy, because I would not have tolerated jealousy mm -hmm. if I'm being honest, like I would have just walked away. Mm -hmm. She struggled early on with wrapping her mind around, how can you have loved and still love Michelle so much and have room for someone else. Like how? Yeah. And one of the things I did first, I tried to like verbally explain it to her. And then I was like, ah, I do this all day, every day for work. I don't want to do this. I was like, read my book. Right. <laughs> and she, it's taken some time, but she gets it. Yeah. Well, does she get it like from a widowed person's perspective? No, yeah. because she's not, but she gets it on her level and we have a great relationship. And again, it hasn't taken away from my love for Michelle at all. Um, John, you mentioned self-esteem, self-worth, 
And I do think that you've got to get that back if you're going to get in a healthy relationship. And I do think that many times as widowers, we get out there before that's been rebuilt back because I think you're vulnerable without that being in place. And I don't think you'll meet the right partner perhaps with that in place. And I can say that from firsthand experience of getting out right. there pretty early and not having that self-esteem and actually seeking that out, seeking those affirmations in some right. of those first relationships to build that back up. Now it was useful. Um, and I've got a lot of admiration still for the partners that helped me to, you know, overcome that and fill those gaps. But that's work I think that would have been better served with me doing it myself with a therapist perhaps to help in building that up uh, as opposed to getting out there and relying on external influences. I think there's a lot of internal work to do before. Yeah, yeah. those are my two favorite things to coach, self-esteem and self-worth. And they cause the most destructive forms of self-sabotage. Mm -hmm. Along with fear and guilt, right? But let's just stay on point here because I could <laughs> ramble all day about these things. And I'm somebody who had horrible self-esteem the first 32 years of my life. I didn't start working on it until after my wife yeah. died. My passion for self-worth comes because I saw how damaged Michelle, my late wife, her self-worth was as a teenager from her childhood. Now, when we reunited, her self-worth was in a healthy place. What I will say is I will never tell any widowed person like when to start dating mm -hmm. again. I know widowed people who have met their next person three months out and are blissfully happy. But here's what I think. I think that when we do the work on ourselves, when we grieve the way we need to grieve, when we start to rebuild, when we find some happiness, if we not only do we make better decisions, 100%, because like you, I could look back at my first few decisions and be like, Oh, you are a hot mess. And you really, <laughs> what were you doing? Right? Like some of the stuff I got in, I was like, what, like the relationship, one of my first relationships, like, what were you thinking, John? That was so bad. Yeah. Um, but I digress. Here's my point. I think that when we re start rebuilding and we find some happiness on our own, not only will we make better decisions, but if we find the right person, they become an addition to our happiness yeah. and not the sole reason for it. I'm happy with Allie, very happy, but all of my happy eggs are in her basket. Mm -hmm. And that makes for a healthier me. Yeah. Yeah. They need to be the icing on the cake, not the cake. And I think when you don't have that self-esteem, that self-worth, you put a lot of that happiness burden on that other person. And that's not fair in a lot of ways. I think to me, until I went through the therapy of working through a lot of past issues that led <laughs> to self-worth and, and self kind of sabotage um, conditions that were there from my father and other things that I went through yeah. there. You know, there's a lot of work to be done beyond just the grief that the grief will exacerbate and amplify, oh, yes. right? So highly recommend the therapy route, get it out, do that work, that foundational work. Take this as a time to, as you said, make you, yourself a priority to work on some of those things. Know who you are. Yep. And then I think that and and work on yourself. And once that work is done and you know exactly who you are and what your worth is and what you value, then you can seek that complimentary partner who's going to be that icing on that cake. 
Yep, 100%. I agree with everything you said. Um, The only thing I will say is you're never going to be perfect, bro, right? I Self-esteem and self-worth are my two favorite things to coach. And I've done so much work on myself. But, you know, when you struggle with something for so long, mm-hmm. whether it was, you know, three decades like myself or some clients I have for seven decades, you're not going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. There's days I still struggle with it. And what I do is I pull out that toolbox that I created for myself. And I say, okay, you're slipping up here. You're starting to beat yourself up again. You're starting to be mean to yourself. You're not seeing your value. Get your toolbox out and get back to work, yeah. right? So I, I do want to tell people that like we are a continuous work in progress. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the big things. We've got a choice to make in our grief and our healing. And it's going to be there still. Um, but there is a growth choice to make out of it. And John, that's some of what you're talking about. Talk about the importance of growth and that growth mindset. Look, I'm the best version of myself today that I've ever been. Mm-hmm. After a lifetime of really hating myself, being very mean to myself, like abusive to myself, mm-hmm. never seeing what I brought to the table. When Michelle was sick for two and a half years, I was so angry and so bitter. And I always tell people there's nothing wrong with being angry after what we've been through. Mm-hmm. My hope for them is that they just don't live there forever. Yeah. I think that's the goal, right? I don't want to live here forever. Mm-hmm. What do I need to do to work through this, make some progress? But I'm the kindest version of myself that I've ever been today. I have so much self-respect, right? And I show myself so much self-love, mm-hmm. even on the days where I may not love myself. You can be nice to yourself even on the days you don't really like mm-hmm. yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're nice to a stranger we may not like, mm-hmm. right? But growth is possible. And I know you've seen this too, because we both have met so many widowed people outside of just you and mm-hmm. I, right? We're not just using ourselves as examples. There's so many widowed people that I know that if I'm being honest, like really didn't want to be here anymore. Mm-hmm. And they, they stayed and they fought for themselves. And now not only do they love life, like I will be on the phone with the client who used to tell me how badly they didn't want to be here anymore. And now they're looking at me square in the eye, telling me how they love life, mm-hmm. but also so many widowed people who are the best version of themselves that they've ever been. And I would have never believed that that was possible. And if I was listening to a podcast like this early on, I probably would have clicked it off because I would have been like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Right. Mm -hmm. But you and I know like, yeah, right. That is possible. And in time, it's something that I think we can work towards. Right. Yeah. You don't have to put pressure on yourself and do it right away. But in time. Yeah. John, and what you speak about, I interviewed um, Jeff a couple of weeks ago, Jeff Johnston. He literally had a loaded handgun sitting there on his bed, lost his son was then a widower, lost his wife to alcohol a couple of years after that as they struggled with the reality of what they were faced with in losing their son. And it's just a heartbreaking story. And he now is a mental health advocate, advocating for mental health of children and has just incredible purpose and incredible light and incredible energy. But he was there. He had that gun. He was ready at that point. And he'll tell that story. So and I know you and I have had our low points in this too. Um, it is not an easy road, but it is one where if you're 
just take little forward steps. And there'll be some days where there are backward steps and you'll regress and you'll you'll fall back, you know. But if you then make a decision two days in to then get back up, dust off a little bit, take another couple of forward steps, that forward momentum will grow and compound and will lead you down that path of eventual healing and eventual light. And hopefully, like John and I, eventual purpose that is so much bigger than anything I could imagine five years ago. Because, you know, I might have been successful in business, but I certainly wasn't successful in a full life. And not that yeah. that's perfect, because there are certain areas of my life, you know, if you think of your life as Matthew McConaughey does of, you know, 360 degree, like little slices, you know, you might have this part of your life or this part of your life set. There's a hell of a lot of other slices and directions that you need to be good at. Um, I really do think that, you know, you can make forward progress in a lot of these areas and you can be a better 2030 version of yourself coming out of this. You know, the ending of my first book talks about how I was going to take my life. And it wasn't like a thought that crossed my mind once. It was a plan Wow. set in stone. I was going to take my life. And I am 38 years old as we record today. This is the best version of myself I've ever been. And I'm not comparing happiness. So I want to be really clear because I think in society, sometimes we hear what we want to hear and don't hear what the person's mm -hmm. saying. But I appreciate happiness more now because I had all the happiness and it got taken from me. Mm -hmm. And I could have never, ever, ever dreamt of happiness ever again. I didn't believe it was possible to find a smile again or to breathe again or to ever enjoy a moment of life again. Mm -hmm. And then when you do, whether you're working really hard for it or you stumble up, start stumbling upon it, it takes my breath away sometimes that I'm able to enjoy that and that I have happiness and, and purpose. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's mind blowing sometimes. Yeah. I too didn't think that there could be joy again through that process uh, of losing her and the trauma. Yeah. Um, absolutely. But you do wind up, you know, making a choice or it finds you uh, through fate or, um, you know, kismet with a mm -hmm. widower maybe reaching out or a friend reaching out the right way or, or something that will take you back into this life and make you know that there can be joy and happiness again. And John and I are proof of that, although I know it might not happen right away for either of us. What's the one piece of advice, John, you'd like to leave our widowers or growth warriors with today? Yeah. Other than just hold on, right. I, I, other than just hold on, because I never would have believed in hope. Again, when people used to talk about hope, it actually, actually used to make me really mad. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't want to hear it, but I would say empower yourself. Yeah. I think that when we empower ourselves to grieve our own way, not how society wants mm -hmm. us to, or expects us to, when we empower ourselves to grieve our own way, when we empower ourselves to be real about our emotion and our pain, what we then do is we set the stage so that once we're ready to start rebuilding and actually living again, we are now empowered. Yeah. 
to rebuild the way we want to rebuild and to live the way we want to live. Empower yourself to realize that you have experienced one of the hardest things that you can experience in this human experience. Now, whether that's, you know, you lost your spouse, a child, whatever it is, like human pain is so real. Mm -hmm. Empower yourself to be real about your pain because I think that you can then look back and recognize how hard you have fought and how far you have come. And also empower yourself once you're ready to live the way you want to live, right? Now, not how anyone else expects you to live. Yeah, totally agree, John. And I think that needs to be, if not the name of your next book, certainly the topic, right? Your Empowered Self. I would Mm -hmm. love to hear more from you about that. For those who want to continue this journey, because we only had a short time today, where can people find and reach you online, John? Yeah, so it's John Polo. So like Marco Polo, John Polo Coaching. And on there, you can find my books, my one-on-one coaching groups, my podcast, everything you would want. Excellent. We're going to include that link in the meeting notes. So look at that. Uh, We're also, uh, John, going to add all four of the books. I think I've got one up there already, but I'll definitely make sure the others are listed as well in our book resources. So you can find those, the Amazon links and definitely check them out. John, absolute pleasure. We could take this conversation another hour or two, I'm sure. Yes. Uh, So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And be sure to subscribe. Please make sure you hit the like button. If you like what you heard, leave a review. That's the best way for us to get noticed and get our audience grown. And until next time, my growth warriors, keep growing.